Sign up for the Ultimate Clemson Sports Newsletter, The Tiger Take, written by Post and Courier reporter John Blau. You'll receive exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. Keep up to date with position battles, behind-the-scenes updates on practices, press conferences, and games. Stay in the know on all things Tigers, plus subscribers get access to all Clemson and Carolina sports stories on the Post and Courier's website. Start your two-week free trial today at postandcourier.com forward slash the Tiger Take. Hey guys, this is John Blau, your Clemson sports reporter for the Post and Courier in Charleston. Uh, we're here for our weekly countdown to kickoff feature. Uh, we're going to preview the Florida State game first to appease my marketing overlords. Just want to tell you about the Tiger Take newsletter that we have. Um, basically, almost daily, we send out our stories with some extra tidbits, um, uh, anecdotes, all kinds of things, kind of give you guys an inside look on the beat and what it's like to be there covering the team. Um, and then that leads back to, you know, another one of our features, which is which is this countdown to kickoff, where we're going to talk about Florida State. And we have, again, um, longtime uh, SID for Clemson football, Tim Beret. Uh Tim, how you doing? Good to be with you, John. How you doing? Doing all right. Um, obviously, things are a little sad in Tiger Town. It's been uh, a rough season. Um, lost on the road at Pittsburgh, twenty-seven to seventeen, and just the injuries and all the things that just keep happening. It, it just seems like a, you know a season that's just unlike any other we've seen in a really long time. I mean, can you think of anything even comparable to this, Tim, from when you were a sports information director for Clemson? No, I really, uh, I really can't. And uh, you can kind of go the opposite direction to put it in perspective. You know, 2018, we won the national championship. I went through the uh, media guide supplement and looked at all the guys who started that year. And I counted 19 of the 24 uh, positions had uh, the, the same guy started 14, uh, at least 14 or 15 of the games. And that uh, does not include the quarterback position where, you know, we didn't have an injury. Dabo just made a, a change from, from Kelly Bryant to Trevor Lawrence. So, uh, and it's really been a hallmark. I haven't done it for 1981 yet, but it was similar in 1981. We had very few injuries and in 2016 uh, also, you know, as big as anything is the lack of cohesiveness we've had in the offensive line because of all the, injuries and that might be the most important area of a football team uh as far as having a cohesive unit you know Dabo talked about that last year uh you know we didn't have great depth in the offensive line but those same five guys started uh you know almost every game and oh gee we averaged 40 points and 500 yards per game uh last last season so that that has uh you know an awful lot to do with it and uh you know, so the, you know, that's, that's been a big deal. And we've got, you know, more injuries obviously this week or COVID, uh, um, you know, with the, with pace out this week. Yeah. And actually that reminds me today in the newsletter, the Tiger Take actually wrote about Mac Bockhorst who had gave a very emotional press conference. Obviously he's out for the season with an ACL injury. So that's another uh, deal that they're dealing with. And I also remembered, I forgot earlier, if you want to subscribe to the newsletter, it's postingcourier.com forward slash the tiger take. I forgot to say that. Um, but yeah, no, it's a Bach horse going down. That was a real like vocal leader and center for that offense. 
Um, and, and he was doing really well since he was playing the actual center position, moved over to guard, was really helping them gain some traction in the run game. Um, now he's out. I mean, how tough do you feel like that loss is in particular on the offensive line, Tim, just as a player, but then also as a vocal leader for them? Yeah, I, I think it's a big loss. And, you know, uh, we had 138 yards total offense in the first quarter, was really running the ball effectively against Pittsburgh. And then, you know, he goes out. And, um, you know, that's a big, uh, you know, a big factor. Unlike a lot of these teams that have fifth and sixth year guys and their offensive line guys have decided to come back uh, because of the extra year from, from COVID, we really don't have a lot of those guys. And, and he was by far the most experienced that we've had. Uh, you know, from, from being at all the interviews every week, what a, you know, a leader is, I always said, and when I was sports information director, you can really, see your team leaders by the guys who are stand-up guys who come and do the interviews and whether we win or we lose. And, uh, you know, he was certainly, um, you know, one of those guys. And you can see the passion he has for the school and the program um, uh, yesterday. And um, I had a couple of people called me and said that you might as well go ahead and, uh, well, this is your first year, that at the end of the year, they give a Tim Beret Award to the guy who represented himself the best in the media uh, throughout the year. And so I had a couple of people call me and said, you can just go ahead and have your picture made with Matt Bockhorst. That award's probably uh, in the, in the, in the bank because he certainly did represent the program very, uh, you know, very well. And I do think it was a positive move when they moved him away from center back to his more natural guard position. I, I thought that made a difference in our, our ground attack. Our rushing offense has really been pretty good in recent weeks, I think we're averaging, we averaged 4.9 yards of carry so far in the month of October. Um, and, you know, run effect, you know, I believe I saw the stat that our 5.5 yards of carry against Pittsburgh was the best by a Pittsburgh opponent since 2018. Yeah. I mean, they were, they were doing really well. I mean, literally he, he got hurt the play before they score a touchdown. I mean, they, they go all the way down the field to the one yard line, He's down with an ACL injury, then Phil Maffa scores in the next play. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they work the offensive line uh, from here. Obviously, Hunter Rayburn, who was out with COVID the last couple of weeks, he can come back. Um, Mason Trotter has been playing center in his absence. The coaching staff actually feels like he's been doing a pretty decent job. Um, so does Hunter Rayburn now switch off at center with Mason Trotter? Do you play him some at guard? Do you just stick with Marcus Tate and Paul Tio and all those guys at guard? It'll be interesting to see. And um, yeah, you were talking about the lack of continuity. I'm remembering the stat right now. Dabo Sweeney said something like 43 different starters thus far this year. And that's through seven games. Uh, the whole season last year, which was the COVID season, that was supposed to be the craziest season of all. Um, they had 40. So they've already surpassed that. Um, and Kobe Pace is out this week, too, uh, with COVID as well. Um, so it's three straight weeks they've had somebody out. Um, it, it was uh, Hunter Rayburn, then Joseph Ngata, and now Kobe Pace. Um, so how you build continuity as an offense, I'm, I'm not really sure. Um, but they'll need to against Florida State. I don't know if you've looked at the stats. Uh, I'm sure you have, Tim. I actually saw one of your stats Uh what, what's the average yard per carry for Florida State uh, in the month of October? Yeah, 6.91 yards a carry, John, which is the number one, um, you know, in the, in the country 
uh, for them offensively. And they, they've got some guys who have really done well. They, uh, they're the opposite of Clemson that they, they have a lot of, they've had a lot of breakaway touchdowns. I, I remember uh, one guy had an 89 yarder against my alma mater, Notre Dame in the first game of the season. He also has a 75 yard uh, run. So yeah, they've, they've been able to, uh, you know, to, to break some. So um, uh, it's going to be a test for the Clemson um, defense for, for, for sure. They're, I believe six of the seven games Florida state has rushed for at least 200 yards. So they've shown some, some consistency in that area. Now we'll say, I don't think they've played a defense as good as Clemson so far uh, this year. So uh, uh, that'll be, and Clemson's got a lot of tape on what they like to do. So we'll be interested to see. Yeah. The only ACC team thus far to hold uh, Florida state under 200 is Wake Forest. Uh, they, they held them to 90. Um, Ironic. A Wake yeah. Forest team that's given up 300, at least 350 yards rushing their last two games. And by the way, by the way, they've won. I don't know if I've ever seen a team give up 350 on the ground and win. It might have happened in the 80s when everybody ran the ball, but uh, that's a that's a very rare statistic. Yeah, it's very it's very interesting. But uh, ball control, I, we've talked about that. Obviously, you talk about explosive plays; they can break break off really uh, long plays, but. Also, can, can Florida State keep the ball away and limit the opportunities of Clemson's offense? And Clemson's offense seem to seem to need as many opportunities as possible this year. Um, you got you, you were mentioning um, the guy with the some of the real breakaway runs to Sean Corbin, uh, just Sean Corbin. Um, he's averaging seven point nine yards per carry, which is ridiculous. I mean, that's a that's a amazing stat. That's Rashawn Ward, 7.4 yards per carry. That's their second leading rusher. And then Jordan Travis is the guy who's going to be really, really interesting. That's the quarterback. Um, at the beginning of the year, they're kind of trying to figure out who their guy was going to be uh, behind center. Um, but the last couple of games, again, they started 0-4. They've now won three straight games. Um, Travis rushed for 113 versus Syracuse and 121 versus North Carolina. And that was, he also had three touchdowns passing in that game. Um, so Clemson's defense in terms of their discipline, being able to uh, handle a quarterback who can make plays with his feet, again, going to be tested kind of similar to Syracuse with Garrett Schrader um, and Yates. It's going to be an interesting thing to watch. Yeah, I was, I was exactly, I was getting ready to make that point, but you, you said, you know, we, we have been down this road before when we've faced a quarterback who can and run and we defended him. Well, I think we held Schrader to, six yards rushing and that was the key to that uh victory so uh certainly going to have to get uh the um the tape from that out and of course we know coach venables is a master at coming up with uh, those types of um uh you know defenses and of course uh syracuse had a really good running back also who's uh what do you have 160 yards against is 150 so um so they've, they've, I don't know, I, we'd have to ask coach to see if, if there are great differences between the way Syracuse attacks uh, it run wise and Florida State. Um, but uh, we have at least been down this road before. Yeah. And I guess I've gone 10 minutes without bringing this up. So uh, shifting gears to the quarterback for Clemson, um, DJ Uyungle and uh, Tyson Pumachon. Uh, haven't exactly called it a quarterback competition, quote unquote, but it, they're opening things up and evaluating everyone is what the coaching staff said. And that includes uh, the quarterback. So um, we don't know yet who's going to start behind center. Um, Tyson Pumachan got in for two series against Pittsburgh. I uh, was three of seven. I think it was 25 yards. 
uh, passing with a couple of nice runs and he showed an ability to uh, run with his legs. Uh, DJ came back in and let a quarter, let a touchdown drive. Um, he just never got the ball back after they scored uh, with eight minutes left, which was one of uh, Dabo Sweeney's uh, great regrets about that game. Um, so it'll be interesting. I mean, I, I think one of the interesting comments that Tony Elliott said was that he kind of compared it to the Marcus Tate situation where Marcus Tate was a true freshman. They put him in a guard. Things were moving a little fast for him. They, they, they pulled him back, uh, tried to take a little pressure off of him and say, Let, let's try this again, you know, look at it, get back in there. And he's played better since. And this is similar maybe uh, with DJ, obviously a very different situation with being a quarterback. Uh, a lot of intense pressure on a quarterback, but um, trying to take some pressure off of them. Uh, do we, do we think, I guess that, uh, you know, is that an easy thing? I guess, I don't know. You've been around football programs, quarterback competitions, conversations. Uh, how do you handle the flow of just all the, the chatter and, and, and kind of making sure a guy's confidence isn't beat up by this? How do they come out of it? I guess. As that uh, great philosopher Yogi Berra once said, it's 90% half mental. <laughs> and what I mean by that is, you know, there, there is the psychological aspects of, of, of things and that can be important. One thing I've noticed, uh, you know, when has DJ played his best football? Well, last year when he was the starter against Boston College and against Notre Dame, and he threw for 700 yards, the most passing yardage ever against Notre Dame, which is just, you know, amazing when you think of all the quarterbacks Notre Dame has played against. Um, but, you know, he knew he wasn't going to be the starter going forward or when that two-game run was over. And then a microcosm of that was kind of like, well, he started against Pitt and they take him out and then they put him in and, oh, boom, he went when kind of the, I don't want to say the pressure was off, but um, – you know, he almost came in as the backup in the in that fourth quarter. We took him on the drive and took us right down the field. So, um, you know, what does that mean? I, I don't know. Maybe it means to me that, <laughs> and I don't I don't know anything about what they're going to do. But you know, when you look at it, what we've seen, you know, maybe you start Puma John and have a real quick hook, <laughs> and and maybe maybe DJ's more comfortable. Uh, you know coming in, coming off the bench. Um, I don't know. Of course, the coaches could look at it and says, well, he gained confidence in that last drive. Let's, let's uh, try to piggyback off of that and, and, and start him and, and see what he can do. I will say this, you know, as you look at the ACC stats, so the number one team in def total defense in the ACC is NC State. Number two is Pittsburgh. Number three is Syracuse. Clemson's four and Boston College is five. So DJ has played against four of the top five defenses in the ACC. What we have left in the ACC is number eight, Florida State, number 11, Louisville, and number 13, Wake Forest. So he has played against the tougher defenses, not to mention the number one defense in the, over, in the whole country in, uh, in, in Georgia. So, you know, they may look at it from that standpoint that let's, you know, let's see what he can do. We're not playing the higher echelon you know, defense is uh, the rest of the way. So let's see. Yeah. I mean, and, and that was the thing that was kind of odd about it. I mean, obviously DJ Davos, when he said had his best game of the year against Syracuse, it felt like he was trending in the right direction, but just a couple of things went wrong 
in that game against Pittsburgh where, you know, there's that interception, obviously to Justin Ross, trying to get it up to him on kind of a busted play, almost soon an interception before the end of the half. Uh, then that shovel pass that's that's picked off and it just felt like they needed to, to change something up um, in that moment. But he has been playing better football. So it's not like um, he he was he hit a new low, I guess, in that game. It was just some really unfortunate circumstances. And and Dabo Sweeney's also said, like you said, going up against those really good defenses. But the offense of Clemson itself um has had a lot of issues that aren't just DJ Uyunglele. I mean, the offensive line, uh, young receivers, different receivers in and out. Um, now it's, you know, again, without Kobe Pace, it's just going to be Phil Maffa and Will Shipley. There's a lot going on around DJ. Um, so I don't know. It's interesting to see if, again, you open it up, let DJ maybe win the week of practice, gain some confidence from that, come in keep playing this may all be for moot for nothing i mean it may just be moot that we see dj again uh, but it is something interesting to watch and, and like you've said um they have played some pretty good defenses so uh we'll see how dj plays in, in that aspect and then just running the ball um will shipley again like i said he had that one play against pittsburgh and again all the weird things that happened that pittsburgh game wide open down the seam uh, probably was going to be a 60 yard touchdown drops it. Uh, Tony Elliott says he probably makes that play nine out of 10 times. Will Shipley says I make it 99 out of a hundred times is what he said. Um, I guess he came, he was coming back from an injury. I guess it was a kind of, you know, hard to expect him to com- be completely hundred percent, you know, that early in a game like that. And do we expect him to kind of, you know, I guess ease his way back in, uh, coming back from that injury he was out for about a month yeah no that's a very good uh point um you know I, I think as far as pure running the ball uh you know with Shipley and Mafa I think we'll be fine this week um I think we're really going to miss pace could be in pass blocking uh you know after the since the first game we've done pretty well as far as protecting uh DJ you know he got sacked seven times in the first game but I think we've only given up, uh, you know, a sack a game or maybe a sack and a third a game, you know, since then. And, and I think um, uh, obviously pass blocking is something that running backs uh, improve on over the course of their career. I remember Travis Etienne, he, he couldn't pass block at all his freshman year. And then by the time he was a senior, he was really good uh, at it. So that's something we might have to look for. I don't know if that means you might have to get some quicker uh, passes out of the uh, out of the backfield. And the other thing you bring up with the injury with with Chipley is, yeah, I mean, you know, we expect a freshman to just come back and be the same way he was, you know, uh, uh, you know, a month uh, a month later. You know, I think that's had an impact on on you know Ross. I mean, you know, Ross has had some drops this year. He hasn't been as good as he was as a freshman and sophomore. But hey, you know how serious his back surgery was that he had that he's had to come back from. Uh, and, you know, he was basically, you know, not, you know, playing for a year. So uh, it, you know, takes a while for, for, you know, he's made some great plays. He's had some other plays he, you know, he could have made, but uh, you know, people seem to discount that, but I think that's been important factors additionally. So we, not only do we have a lot of guys hurt, we've got guys who are playing coming back from being hurt or trying to play hurt. Right. And Shipley, I guess maybe that's, you know, he's a five-star. Justin Ross, again, played as well as he did as a sophomore, but just expects everything to pick up. And, and DJ, the same thing, you know, comes in two games 
uh, with a more experienced team around him and just just lights the world on fire. And so then you see this year and you're like, well, what the heck's going on? Um, but yeah, a lot of struggles. Um, Dabo made some jokes about being on the street. I think it was actually Gene Sapikoff to ask him the question and people just don't want to look him in the eye right now. And a lot of I'm praying for you, and, uh, things like that. So um, yeah, I got a kick out of him saying he had people writing notes and dropping them in his mailbox, which I guess is true because I mean, I couldn't think he, he could make that up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Dabo is a, is a good talker. I guess that actually brings me to another subject I wanted to talk about. He went 10 minutes on uh, Bobby Bowden yesterday. Um, he was asked about Bobby. He talked a lot about him during fall camp, obviously, because Bobby Bowden passed away. At that at that time but they are honoring bobby bowden as well as tommy bowden uh, is coming back his son and uh the former clemson coach and so an interesting moment there i guess have you ever seen Dabo talk for more than that on a single subject i mean 10 minutes is a pretty i feel like that might be a new world record no he has <laughs> many times before <laughs> and et actually told me that story um when it happened uh, you know, when he went down there with uh, Dabo was the recruiting coordinator, you know, before he was the head coach. So I dealt with him a lot as an assistant coach. And I remember him telling me that story, how he got to meet Bobby Bowden uh, when he went, went down there on his uh, on a recruiting trip and uh, was with Tommy. And then Tommy left just the two of them, uh, uh, you know, together in his in his room and, he, and in Bobby Bowden's office. And he told that uh, told that story. But. Um, I did write an article uh, for this weekend's program in the last word about uh, uh, Bobby Bowden and the positive effect he had on our program, which is unbelievable considering that Bobby Bowden beat Clemson 14 times more than any other opposing coach, yet he had probably the most positive effect uh, an, an opposing coach could have on the program through the, just the teachings of, uh, of uh, him to his son, Tommy, who then, of course, passed them on to to Dabo. When you look at the elements of Clemson's culture, uh, you know many of them. Their, their source is is back to um, Bobby Bowden. Whether it be uh, you know the family atmosphere, the how you treat your assistant coaches, and you, you notice that was a common denominator between Clemson's program and the Florida State great era when they had fourteen straight top fives. Is the uh, consistency of the of the staff. Uh, and just many other things that, uh, you know, contribute to a culture of a program that Dabble really adopted from Tommy, who got him from Bobby. Yeah. I, was he really, you remember him telling you that story about meeting Bobby Bowden, I guess, was he really wide-eyed? Do you remember like actual starstruck? It sounds like he was, you know, starstruck by being able to meet him. Yeah, he certainly explained it that way. And of course, uh, you know, at that time it happened in, Let's see, let me think. 2000, 2003 or four, uh, Dabo's first year back was 2003. Now, of course, you know, Dabo shouldn't have been that starstruck about, but, you know, he was, you got to remember now, he's an Alabama guy, and Bobby Bowden was kind of an Alabama legend, even though he never coached at Alabama, but everybody kind of looked at him as being an Alabama coach someday, which never happened. Uh, but I know he did have great respect and admiration uh, um, for Bobby Bowden. And, um, and ironically, the last time that, that Bobby Bowden coached against Clemson, Dabo was the one who 
who beat him in 2009. Yeah, I guess he also told the story of, again, it was 10 minutes long, so he went on a lot of different stories uh, about a, a chapel, I guess, that Bobby Bowden gave at the age of 90. I, I don't know if you were there, but uh, he talked about, he came in with a cane, kind of like threw it away, and he was back to being, you know, Bobby Bowden from 50 years prior in terms of his energy, enthusiasm, and all that. Yeah, I, w I was not that, there that day that did happen after uh, after I re retired, so I didn't go to the, although he would let me go to the meetings if I wanted to, but um, I do remember him sending me a picture um, of the two of them after when he was in his office at that later that day and, and actually telling me, uh, you know, about it. And, uh, you know, just how he thought that was the greatest thing ever that this, you know, 90 year old coach who's still as sharp as could be, could give such a, uh, a terrific message. And, uh, you know, all the players knew what he, you know, who he was and what he, uh, you know, stood for. And um, um, I, I think uh, Dabble looked at that and almost kind of like, well, I, you know, I hope I last this long and I'm this sharp and can address the football team when I'm 90 years old. Uh, you know, down down the road again, another example of the great admiration that that uh, Dabo has for uh, for Bobby Bowden and the Bowden family in general. Yeah, I think Dabo was asked how long he could coach. I think yesterday as well. I think he said he could probably go another twenty years, get to seventy. That wasn't sure about ninety. Did he joke that like Nick Saban could go maybe a little bit longer? He he, joke, he he joked that. I mean, I don't know how old is Nick. Sixty eight, maybe. And Something he said, like who knows, maybe Saban will go another 20 years into his 80s uh, as, as, as a coach. So uh, Dabo's in pretty good shape. He stays in good shape. So who knows how long he's going to go. You know, we, we forget about, you know, when I was growing up or I was in school, you know, looking at coaches that uh, were coaching in the 60s, I looked at them as being, wow, those guys are really old. And, uh, you know, growing up in Notre Dame, no person no 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 Notre Dame coach coached after the age of 55 until um Holtz did Holtz was still coaching 59 and now Brian Kelly just turned 60 he's the oldest coach oldest person ever to coach Notre Dame in uh, in history um you know who, who knows how long Newt Rockney would have gone if he wasn't killed in that plane crash at the age of 42 um but yeah today coaches do coach a lot longer so it'll be interesting to see yeah i mean i went to penn state so joe paterno was I there when know. i was there he was in his 80s yeah. <laughs> so you can't go a while i mean obviously yeah. things end great there for different reasons which i won't go completely into but yeah it, it, it's happened and i remember seeing him up there and just being like wow this guy's you know I don't know how much longer he's going to go with everything because yeah. uh, he was in his 80s, uh, but he, he was still able to do it. And they were still winning football games. So you, you never know. Um, but yeah, so let, I guess back to Florida State just for a, a quick moment, I guess. Are there any keys to the game, like a, the most important thing you feel like when they're playing Florida State to kind of try, try to get back on track after a tough loss? Well, you know, against Pittsburgh, I thought the key was for us to hit some downfield uh, passes, which we hadn't done much of all year. And we only hit two passes of 20 yards or more in that game. And I think that was a bit of a key. I think a key in this game against Florida State would be stopping the run. But now that's something that Clemson does well. So I feel a lot better about this game than I did about the Pittsburgh game, you know, because of that. Uh, Tyler Davis had a pitch count on him last week. I don't think he's going to have a pitch count on him this week. 
Uh, he couldn't play in the fourth quarter. They held him out of the fourth quarter because of that. Uh, I look for him to, to, uh, to go the distance in this game. And that certainly is going to, uh, uh, you know, help matter. So, um, you know, defending the run, I think is something Clemson does well. And, uh, and so that's why I feel, uh, I see that as a key to the game to answer your question. And Clemson does that well, as opposed to last week where I thought the key to the game, Clemson didn't do well. Yeah. And I'll go back to the other side of the ball again, running the ball in terms of this offensive line. How does it mesh again with, uh, with Bachhorst no longer there, um, be able to move the chains with either DJ or Tyson at quarterback. Um, how well can they do that? Um, like you said, they face some of the better defenses in the ACC. They're starting to get to the ones that don't rank quite as high. Can they, can they now begin to, you know, really churn out some offense uh, this latter stage of the uh, season? Yeah, so Florida State, I noticed, John, is eighth in the ACC in rush defense. So they haven't been all that great in defending the run. Right. So there's opportunity there. Phil Moffa and Shipley can capitalize if their, their blockers can get it going for them. And just one more point, you're talking about Tyler Davis, that thing he has on his arm, uh, that cast or bra- it's a brace, I guess. So his bicep isn't moving that much. He almost looks like a robot out there. It's just, uh, yeah, I heard Dabo talk about that. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's talked about not st- stretching it out, I guess, but don't you have to do that to make a tackle sometimes? So <laughs> I don't know, but he played pretty well with it uh, Saturday. So uh, hopefully he's going to get better. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, I think that's pretty much the end of our program here today. I'll do one more spiel on the uh, the Tiger Take newsletter. If you want to subscribe to that, uh, that's postingcourier.com forward slash the Tiger Take. Uh, we will be back again next week um, talking about when it's going to be Louisville. 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 Um, the theme of be, mystery. Yes. That's going to be an interesting one to talk about. We have a week to think about it. Um, but again, thanks, Tim, for uh, stopping by and talking with me. And we'll we'll talk next week. Sounds good, John. I will see you.